Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. I'm your host, Ellie Duncan, and today I'm joined by two guests on the podcast. Before I introduce them both, just to give you a bit of background about what we're going to be talking about today. So if we hark back to sort of February this year, the UK banking group TSB launched a payments app for its small business customers in partnership with banking technology platform provider Bankify. Called Revenue, the app uses open banking infrastructure to allow TSB's SME customers to collect payments from requests sent by SMS, WhatsApp, via email and using a QR code. So with that in mind, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Hartley, who is the CEO of Bankify, and by Jason Wilkinson-Brown, who is Head of Digital Propositions, Partnerships and Open Banking at TSB. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, let's get straight into it. I mean, we have a fairly global audience uh, here at Open Banking Expo. So for those who are unfamiliar with Bankify, Mark, can you explain what it is you do and, and why you founded the business? I can, Ellie. Thank you uh, for, for that introduction. As I say, thank you for having us. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, Bankify, um, we're described as a fintech, but we like to say we're the fintech that isn't a fintech. And I, and I say that because a lot of fintechs or, or financial technology providers um, are actually uh, trying to disrupt or, or attack banks and take away customers and and take away revenues from them. And we founded the business specifically to help support financial institutions. So I guess you would describe us as a classic technology supplier or partner to financial institutions. And what we actually do is help banks and financial institutions transform their their digital and, and uh, channels, so their mobile and internet channels, from something that's purely transactional into where um, a business will run and operate from. So I think you can you can probably look at things like em- embedded banking or you can look at beyond banking services. So any of the sorts of things that, that businesses need to do to run their business, so things like invoicing, bookkeeping, accounting, cash flow forecasting, we do that that, that helps embellish a traditional banking channel to make it something that, you know, a business user will be able um, to use uh, as their kind of place to do all of their business operations from. And we set the business up um, to help solve problems for people like ourselves. A lot of the uh, uh, the industry is focused on lending as a, as a kind of, you know, we need to help business customers um, get easier access to, to loans. We need to get easier access to, to funding. And we kind of looked at it from a, a, a little bit of a different angle. We know that Lots of small businesses are run by very time poor individuals. You know, the vast majority of UK small businesses, of which there are 5.5 million, have less than 10 employees. So they're sole proprietary or sole trading businesses, um, up to 10 people. They don't have an admin department. They don't have a finance department. So they're basically having to do everything themselves. So they're by nature very time poor. And we know that the second thing that they have is a big, big challenge in getting paid on time. So we focused on those two specific things to help small business owners 
get some time back so they can spend more time with their family doing the things that they want to do and also get paid on time to make sure that they don't necessarily have to borrow money or their business can thrive because they're, they're, they're getting money through the door that enables them, uh, enables them to invest or grow their business. And that's why we set the company up. That's great to hear. And we'll definitely delve into some of those kind of pain points that you mentioned there a bit further in this episode. But but Jason, I mean, TSB probably doesn't need much of an introduction, given that it's sort of one of the oldest banks on the UK high street. But um, it will be great to hear more about what your role at TSB sort of entails and what your background is, please. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I think a couple of things to start. So actually, um, thanks to Open Banking Expo, because this is the first time I've done a podcast with one of our partners. So it's great for us to both sit down together and talk about um, some of the um, some of the exciting stuff we've been on together. So that's, so that's great. So I look after um, as you talked about in the job title, I probably look after two things um, at TSB. Um, so the first one is all around open banking. So as you said, um, we're a mid-tier bank in the UK. We've got um, about 5 million um, customers who, who choose to bank with us um, every day. Uh, and in an open banking perspective, we've now got 148 third parties who connect to our APIs. Um, we um, have the largest number of um sort of TPPs connected to us outside of the, the CMA9 and, and we process around 25 million um, plus um, open banking API call, you know, API course every single month. Uh, and our payment volumes continue to grow abound and that's largely driven by small business and largely driven by stuff we saw earlier in the year, which is around sort of now businesses starting to use open banking to make tax payments, starting to use open banking to make payments to suppliers, uh, maybe in the future staff. So this is a, this is sort of a really growing um, and really core area for TSB as we look to sort of meet the needs of both customers, but then also now this new form of customer that we've developed, which is, which is fintechs and third parties. Um, and then that, that then sort of flows through into the, the second half, which is actually something that I'm actually quite proud of is the TSB. We, I think we were hopefully um, one of the first to recognize um, the smartest ideas are no longer in the room, you know, whether it be you know, London, Edinburgh, Manchester, across the whole of the UK, we should be very proud of our fintech industry, very, very, very proud of our fintech economy. And there's a there's a real opportunity for TSB to use that scale, to use those five million customers you have and to and to really sort of match make the two together. Uh, and that's largely um what sort of my area and my partnerships teams do. So Really pleased that uh, literally in the last three weeks, so um, this is the first time we've talked about it on a podcast, we we launched our in-app um, TSB marketplace experience. Uh, and now we've literally had hundreds of thousands of customers um, able to, you know, reach out to Fairwill to get a will, reach out to Wealthify to sort out their investments, reach out to Kogo to understand how they can better um, understand the, um, you know, everyday carbon impact of their spending. And, and, and you know, and, and we're, doing, we're, do, we're doing exactly the same thing on small business. So that's a sort of a, a brief summary of where we're at. But yeah, really keen to uh, enjoy the good discussion about revenue and Bankify. Yeah, well, let's get into that then. Um, you know, as I said in my introduction, you, you announced anyway that the the launch of the revenue app sort of earlier this year. Mark, just just coming to you, uh, can you tell us how did that partnership kind of come about? Where where did it all start? I think it started quite a long time ago. Um, I think Jason and I first met probably it's probably three years ago when we were kind of still relatively young as a company and. 
I think I met Jason and his team and presented what we were all about and what we did. And I think that coincided with the bank remedies situation that was going on, the, you know, the, the funds that were made available through the, the, the RBS bailout scheme. So the incentivized switching, switching scheme and then the, the innovation um, portion of that. And, and so I think, I mean, Jason's much more qualified to talk about that than I am, but I, I think that the opportunity really came to the fore um, last year. And I think it's fair to say that both organisations moved incredibly quickly to get the service and the solution out into into the marketplace. I mean, one of the big criticisms that financial institutions often face is that they take a, a long time to do things. Well, actually, um, I think from the first point of contact when Jason got back to us to actually going live with the service, it was something like three or four months to get the service built and launched, contracts done, etc etc so it was a it was a very you know quick thing but i think as i say the, the the relationship started back probably three years ago jason if i if i'm if i'm right in thinking it was about that that time when we first met yeah spot on and and look i'd, I'd build on that and say you know all of the decisions are largely driven by customer needs so i've already iterated around we could see growth at open banking for smes and and, and mark mark touched on it at the top uh, and it's something that i'm personally you know pretty passionate about which is I work in a full-time job I'm largely very good at protecting my weekends so I've got time to spend time with friends family do what I enjoy entrepreneurs CEOs people who run the engine room of the British economy they, they, they sometimes don't have that luxury so actually for us to sort of work with a company like Bankify which really has got that vision around you know giving founders employees um, you know founders and leaders time to sort of get back to what they enjoy and um, that that was that was that was really um that was that was really important to us so um there was a definitely a sort of strong mutual understanding at the start around how we can really sort of pick this up and drive forward to solve some of those key problems for our for our small business customers yeah i mean you know one of one of those kind of pain points in particular that that uk smes kind of suffer is is being able to collect payments from from customers you know, it's obviously a huge problem here in, in the UK. And Jason, perhaps you can kind of paint a picture of how much of an issue it is and and how your app revenue kind of helped, helps to speed up this process, basically. Yeah, of course. So look, I think let's, let's look at a time before revenue. So Ellie, you decide to take me on as a, as a new customer. So what you've got to do is you've got to go in, you've got to add my bank details, you've got to, you know, go into a Word document, you've got to create an invoice, you've got to double check that my details on the top are the same as the details you've got. Um, and then you email it to me or you, um, if we're a bit more old school, you put it in the post to me or whatever, or you hand it to me, whatever else the thing might be. Um, and then you just don't hear back, right? You're literally relying on trust. You're relying on me to say, okay, bloody hell, I need to pay Ellie um, for those things that I bought, you know, quick, let me let me then go through into my accounting system add you as a payee, do all of those checks that we had to do again, and then, you know, finally you might get paid. And, you know, if we look at the the macro picture again, and, and look, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, 90% of businesses fail in the first year, I believe that was the stat I heard, and, and the vast majority of them fail due to cash flow. So all of a sudden, you've got a digital proposition where I can open up an app, I can very quickly, using sort of open banking, authenticate myself, create a payee, uh, and then send you 
any payment method that suits you. So whether it be a QR code, whether it be an SMS, whether it be an email. And then me as a small business owner, I'm, I, I'm, I'm entirely in control. So the moment I pay that, I get a notification in my app that says, hey, Ellie, Jason paid you. You're all good. I can send out reminders uh, and I'll get those reminders. So, so, so that's all good. And then when that payment does go through, every, 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 everything's instantly reconciled. So because it's using open banking, the, 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 funds in, the funds are in your account straight away. So you don't have to worry about this challenge of pending versus posted. Because it's linked into your zeros, your sages, or your big accounting platforms, that's all covered straight away because we've, we've, we've reconciled your accounts and, 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 and that's all updated. And then the crucial thing, actually, which I think more and more um, it sits on me, is it's, it's safe and secure. So if you look about small business fraud, right? Some of the big drivers in small business fraud is people sort of sending invoices where account details have been changed or, or, or sort of trying to sort of disintermediate payments. Because we're using open banking, actually, no account details are shared. All you, all, you know, all the customer is doing is consenting and then, and, and then sending that move across. So actually, we're even doing our bit here to sort of help protect customers from, from invoice fraud as well. So yeah, I, Mark and I are biased, uh, and uh, we can all see each other today despite this be a podcast. And he's he's nodding along, but um, but uh, yeah, I think it, you know I'd like to think it's received you know relieved a fair few pain points for for SMEs. I might uh, I I might throw open to Mark and see if I see if I miss anything or there's anything else he thinks he wants to add. Well, I think no, you you, you I mean you've you've nailed most of it, Jason. I think just a couple of perhaps really good data points on it. You know, I think. There are various different statistics that fly around about what the average payment times are in this country. Um, and they range from, you know, 26 days on average to receive your money to actually either 56 days pre-COVID or 75 days post-COVID. So depends on which publications you read and where those stats come from. But most companies have invoicing terms of 30, 30 days. So 80% of companies have invoicing days. Uh, invoice in terms of 30 days so if it's 55 or 75 you know that's 75 it's two and a half times your invoicing terms they're not giving credit on that that's that you know that the invoice is the credit so you know they're not charging interest on it um, and to jason's point you know prior to the sorts of app, apps that revenue provide that was you know here's a paper-based invoice and it's uncomfortable chasing up of, of payments by people uh, awkward conversations and so on and so forth. You know, the stats that we've got in our app together are that that's reduced down to two and a half days. The average days taken to settle those invoices through revenue is two and a half days, um, which is a fantastic achievement, even if, if it's 26 days on average um, than it, it, it normally takes. So to bring that down is really important. A couple of other things, you know, the use of QR codes, you know, COVID was an awful, awful experience for the vast majority of people, but some good things came out of it. One of which was we all got familiar with QR codes because of our requirement to have, you know, the NHS app and so on and so forth. So the payment method of QR codes and open banking as a replacement for card acceptance is a really interesting thing that's, that's come out of it as well. So you know, the adoption of QR codes as a payment method is really, really great. And that point I made at the top of the discussion about time saving. So to Jason's point, so being able to have an app where you create the invoice, send the invoice that then gets pushed into your accounting package and being able to receive the payment. And as that payment goes through in real time, your accounting package is updated and reconciled and matched. 
So you're not having to do bookkeeping things at the weekend and you're probably not having to pay a bookkeeper or an accountant the fees that you would normally pay them when you were doing that manually and, and, and otherwise. And just maybe one final thing that's actually not a data point from, from revenue, but it's a data point from a, a customer that we have in New Zealand that we've launched a similar service with. Their customer said one of the most attractive things about it being offered through the bank is that the bank almost assumes the role of collecting money on behalf of the customer. And actually that has that kind of awkward conversation removed because the official nature of the request coming from your financial institution actually makes the customer who owes you money more likely to pay. So there's some really interesting things that come out of it. And as Jason says, you know, I think we both feel very passionate and perhaps are a little bit biased, but we think it makes a big difference to the lives of small business owners. And as Jason says, they're the backbone of the British economy. And this problem isn't just in the UK, right? I think we, I think I quoted 5.5 million in the UK. There are 32 million small businesses um, of zero to 10 employees in the United States. So, and they all have the same problem, you know, collecting money is the biggest challenge that any small business owner has. Yeah. And when you talk about kind of some of those, those average kind of payment times, you know, we're not just talking about days there, that, that turns into weeks and, and months. So uh, that's, a, as you pointed out earlier, you know, a huge amount of, of time where cash flow is, is just kind of drying up. Jason, I'm keen to hear from you about kind of the responses that you've had from your, your SME customers to this app so far. Yeah, so um, a, a bit about our small business customers. So we have small business customers of all shapes and sizes, from clubs, charities, and societies, through to sort of you know the large the the, the larger side of SME. And they've all and and they, and they've all massively seen the value in it. So um, you know we, we were very cautious. We took a bit of a staged you know a real staged approach to rolling out because we 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 wanted to make sure we got it right and we really managed that customer experience. So. You know, because first of all, it was linked to the BCR. We first launched it to um, all of the um, NatWest switches, and you know, for them, it was uh, sort of the, the anecdotal feedback we got. It was it it, it, it was a real sort of um, propositional enhancement as to why you would um, sort of why you would bank with TSB, and it and it really complements quite nicely some of the other um, sort of partnerships we've got in the SME world. So our partnership with Square around point of sale, our partnership with um, enterprise nation and be the be the business around sort of edu- you know sort of business content and business education so you can imagine beyond a bank account you're already starting to build this sort of little toolkit that um, you can sort of offer to customers end-to-end to start to offer all of this so it's been it's been it, it's been really really well received and actually now we're starting to integrate it deeper into our customer journey so you know at the point customers now um you know our new customer journeys how do we sort of build it into that you know, I know, I know our relationship managers out in the field. They're having some, they're having some really positive conversations about it as well. So, um, so lots to do. Uh, I'm sure there's a um, Mark's got a very exciting roadmap that we can that we can work together on. So, um, fingers crossed, we can come back and um, and, sh- and share some more. Yeah, well, let's talk a bit more about that kind of working together uh, element, really, because you know, I think part of, of, of what has made open banking in the UK so successful is is the fact that we've had these partnerships between some of the major high street banks and and these these fintechs like Bankify. 
I'm keen to hear from, from both of you, given that you're on both sides of this. But let's start with you, Mark. What, what do you think is the key to a successful sort of partnership like the one you have with TSB? I think the most important thing is is recognising the value that both parties bring to the the customer, the end customer, and to one another. Um, I think it's really important. So I, I kind of describe the fintech industry as having three phases. The first phase where there was all these kind of bright-eyed, young um, go-getters that thought that they could destroy banks and replace banks and that you know banks would become a thing of the past and then the kind of phase two was some of the some of the traditional banks kind of learned um, some things that were um, maybe some of the neo banks were doing and some of those fintechs were doing and, and kind of felt that they perhaps didn't need the help from financial institutions from fintechs I should say and then I think we're in phase three where both parties have realized that actually, you know, the, the, the sum of the parts is greater than the individual components. And actually bringing the strengths of both industries together is what's right for the customer. So I think that's really important. But from our perspective, uh, you know, one of the things that we tried to do from the outset is, you know, the fintech industry didn't start in 2010. You know, it's been around for as long as I've been in my career, which started in 1991, this is all I've ever done. And it was a lot around long before I started my career. You know, technology has been the backbone of financial institutions and will continue um, to be. And I think one of the things that we do is we understand how banks operate. We understand the regulatory, um, the compliance nature and the, the, the kind of quite strict, rigorous processes and procedures that any highly regulated organization uh, needs to have and I think that's a really really important thing for partnerships between banks and fintechs is that you know you understand one another um, and you know that for me is a really important thing that we do understand the constraints which within which the financial institution and the financial services industry has to operate think that's not the case with a lot of fintechs and I think what you're going to see as a consequence of the unfortunate downturn that we're, we're going to go through is that you're going to see quite a lot of fintechs disappear and the ones that know how to operate and work with financial institution partners and the solving real problems and not creating speculative technology solutions that are looking for problems to solve I think there's going to be a big shake-up and I hope, you know, the relationship that we've got with, with folks like the TSB is proof that, you know, we can provide services to financial institutions that are meaningful to their customers. You know, they have millions of customers. Building a brand directly to the end user is a pretty tough job. So, you know, that's an example of leveraging one thing that fintechs don't have. The TSB, as Jason's already said, have got 5 million customers, right? That is a great go-to-market distribution channel for us to help them get better services to their customers and kind of remained brandless and, and you know work as a partner in, in providing technology through to the end through great organizations like the TSB. It's interesting uh, you say there's, there's going to be this shake-up Jason, just to hear from you first before maybe we, we think about that a little bit more. I think when you, when you spoke about partnerships earlier, you sort of referred to it a bit like matchmaking. So can you explain like how, how you know, you've, you've viewed partnerships like the one you have with, with Bankify and, and then more generally how you think fintechs and banks can kind of partner successfully? 
so we've done a couple of things. So we, we've done some um, work with um, to sign up to the FinTech pledge. And I'll go into that next. But I think w- what you get from TSB is is you get honesty. Um, and, you know, I've I, I talked to other fintechs um, and, and they'll speak to banks across the world and, and some in the UK or, or not even just banks, large organizations across the world. And what they'll what they'll do is they'll that you know they'll go for a meeting and and, and you know and, and somebody will say oh that's absolutely fantastic send me an email let's catch up next week and and they walk out there and they walk out of the room super excited that they signed up this huge massive client and then and then sadly they they don't hear anything back and and then six months later you sort of you sort of end up in this sort of um, you know sort of long long um, sales cycle which which largely is probably not beneficial to anybody. So what we're really clear on at TSB is that sort of if it's driven by data, if it's driven by customer insight, um, we'll move fast and we'll create avenues to test um, and, and, and after test, then sort of roll out to our customers. And we have done that back to front in the organization. So uh, when I first moved uh, into TSB and we, we started this, we put our standard bank contract in front of a, you know an organization that was probably 18 to 24 months old. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you the look on their face when this huge sort of war and peace landed on their desk for them to mark up and review. Right. There was there was probably there was there was genuine anxiety. And that was that was really that was really the light bulb moment for us. So we've now stood up a bespoke onboarding process for small companies and fintechs. We've got a bespoke um, contract for, for fintechs, which. You know, I largely think is about seven to eight pages long, so it covers everything. It, it, it covers everything we need in that, and we've sort of, you know, right-sized the organisation throughout. So how the organisation operates in terms of governance and regulation and, and, and working groups. That's all. That's that, that. That's all fit through, and that's that's really been the operating model for us um, in terms of allowing us to do what Mark said, which is sort of in a meeting um, say absolutely this this fits a fits a problem for our small businesses, um, and then three months later put it into into small businesses hands and you know we're, we're not complacent you know we've got targets now to, to reduce that and I, I really would like to see us be able to really um even condense further the time it takes from us to take it to, to go from first meeting to putting it into customers hands it's interesting to to hear your work on on that onboarding process and and I'm sure, as you say, you know there are some larger organisations that that can uh, take some some learnings from from that approach. Look, Mark, I know that you mentioned there that maybe the fintech sector might be about to undergo a bit of a shakeup, given that you know we're going through something of of an economic sort of downturn. I just wondered what you thought, or how you thought rather, the UK fintech sector specifically is doing i know that more recently there have been some headlines around you know fintech's valuations uh, coming down but generally do you think that that it's a fairly sort of thriving scene here in the uk oh yeah i mean undoubtedly it's it's thriving i, I guess it's you know i have the uh, the dubious pleasure of being around in the 1990s and um, through the dot com uh, boom and bust and, and 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 you know history has a nasty habit of repeating itself and that and I firmly believe that's what's going to happen and I think businesses that are like I said a minute ago who have got a real problem to solve that are generating real revenue and are not seeking investment on speculative what might happen in the future type things will have a tough time over the next 24 months you know and fintech's a very broad brush you know it's it's it spans all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So I think it really depends on 
what you do. I mean, if you're a if you're a fintech in digital propositions, making life easier and better, and and the experience um, better for customers at financial institutions, for example, I think you'll be fine. I think if you're in crypto or in artificial intelligence and things that are yet to be proven to generate real revenues and, and so on and so forth, it may not be as rosy for, for the next couple of years. So I think it really depends on what part of fintech you operate in and what your value proposition is. And you know, as for valuations and multiples, VCs, private equity firms will always say one thing, they back management teams, particularly VCs, they back people that are able to either show through track record or have a have a good team that's put together that go, you know, can prove that they've done this before and can do it again or that they've got a value proposition that makes sense. It's easy to run a business when you're in an economic good time. It's not so easy to run a business when when things aren't going great. And I think it's the wheat from the chaff type of thing. And you know, I think what you'll see is is VCs will back companies that they've already backed and perhaps put more money into those businesses. And what you'll see is that companies that have got not a you know a, an MVP or nothing more than a PowerPoint and, a, and a, a, a dream, that they might find it difficult to get backed. And as I say, it'll really depend on what that proposition is and that problem is that they're trying to solve. And, you know, uh, so it's it, there's still a lot of money out there, an awful lot of money out there that needs to be deployed, you know, and, no disrespect to Jason and his colleagues at banks that don't pay massive amounts of interest on deposits. Let's make no mistake about it. VCs need to deploy their funds. So it's not going to completely dry up. It's just going to be good companies will get good money at good valuations, dubious companies with dubious propositions and dubious requirements of valuation probably won't. Well, look, just just finally, Jason, I wanted to to kind of pick your brains a little bit about embedded finance and, and the potential therein, because we, we hear quite a, a lot about it. And I was wondering if you think there are any other areas where, you know, you see embedded finance helping UK SMEs um, or maybe even retail customers as well. Yeah, so I, look at it. So I think I think the immediate opportunity probably is 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 has to has to be around lending, right? So there is now there's you know there is nothing now that says a customer has to come to their bank, you know, to um, look for any sort of borrowing facilities. And I think you'll start to see that relationship now turn actually, which is where banks will start to go where customers are, and we're seeing it largely already, right? When some of the the marketplaces on the accounting platforms, but you know, if I'm a small business customer who I, uh, you know, let's pick a really arbitrary thing. I always buy my A4 printing paper from Staples or any other, you know, other um, other stationery stores are available place. Then, and I'm always buying it in significant quantities. How can you then? How how can banks then start to build up that data and then start to think about how do you work with partners to sort of then start to match up all of those things and start and and start to build sort of products and propositions around it. And then I'm just going to sort of follow on from 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 Mark's point because 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 I think retail um, hits in this as well. So today, you know, we're, we're recording this on the 27th of July. The FCA today have have released their final guidance around new consumer duty, which is sort of um, an updated list of obligations that regulated um, institutions have to do in terms of making sure customer outcomes are, uh, are fair, uh, fair and good. And I think there's probably then a good opportunity to think about how you start to embed finance opportunities in some of that stuff as well. So um, 
you know, the regulation coming around buy now, pay later, and that's inevitably going to flow into SME. I think, I think this this starts to create a whole whole bunch of opportunities, um, whole bunch of opportunities that um, that sort of embedded finance can really grow in. Well, uh, look, it's been great to have both of you on the podcast today, Jason and Mark. Um, and I think we've we've covered off um, quite a few areas there. Obviously, brilliant to hear more about revenue. Uh, and both your thoughts on on where fintech and bank partnerships go from here. So thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. My thanks again to Mark Hartley from Bankify and to TSB's Jason Wilkinson-Brown for joining me on the podcast. If you'd like to listen back to other episodes in the series, then simply click on the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. We've had some great guests on the podcast recently, and we've also been taking a closer look at some regions and what they're doing in the open banking space, including Nigeria and the UAE. Stay tuned for another episode very soon. Goodbye for now.